Hello and welcome to the Seems Legit Podcast, hosted by your favorite craft beer drinking, whiskey sipping, bourbon appreciating, sushi eating, steak craving, speedo wearing, tell it like it is, sometimes I tend to the goal. Your favorite poker playing guitarist, the dude himself, the dude Sonny D. I want to thank you all so much for tuning into this episode of the Seems Legit Podcast. I'd throw in a little bit of hockey there, uh, just to throw you off, but uh, keep things, uh, keep you guys on your toes a little bit. But nonetheless, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Seems Legit Podcast. Really do appreciate uh, the continued and growing support here. If you aren't already doing so, please follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at the dude Sunny D. Uh, I know. Well, it's funny because. Yes, we talked about hockey and such yesterday, but I think it's always in a different, like, it's a very different context, because today I want to talk and cover more stories and such from the NHL and what's happening there. Um, The NHL has been very fascinating to me this season in that it's it's truly kind of developed into, like, you just don't know what's going to happen. It seems like a wide open race. Uh, Things change week to week. So uh, I wanted to talk about that a little bit, uh, where we're going now, heading into the trade deadline. There's a number of trades yesterday um, and over the last few days. Uh, Alec Martinez and Talat- or, sorry, Alec Martinez looks to be getting traded uh, from the Los Angeles Kings to the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, Tyler Toffoli was traded to the uh, Vancouver Canucks. Uh, so it's, I don't know what they're doing in LA. I don't know how what um, the process is there, um, but. I mean, you're seeing, you know, it's a tough one because I like LA. I've liked LA for a while, for a long time. I was happy when they won their uh, two cups. Um, it's just it's sad to see when you see a team that went from being kind of the bar in the Western Conference to now kind of being in the basement of the Western Conference, especially with players that I really like. It's tough to see, but uh, nonetheless, it's part of the game. Uh, also, we'll talk about today uh, kind of some of what t- some of the teams are looking for, the premiums that could be paid, uh, why premiums come in, um, and I can kind of understand the value of players, projections, talking a little bit about everything kind of NHL and hockey related today. Uh, so uh, let's get into it. Uh, first and foremost, uh, two big uh, teams to follow, or I guess that I was following. Um, were the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Van- and the Winnipeg Jets. The interesting thing becomes in that Atlantic division is outside of those top two teams, Boston and Tampa Bay, um, you have this kind of convergence of mediocrity in the middle, and then you have Detroit, who's going to come dead last in, this, in the league this year, uh, Let's just see here. Detroit, I think, is like a good 20 points clear. Yeah, they're 14 points clear of Anaheim. I mean, of uh, L.A. for uh, dead last in the NHL. Uh, so that's um, very sad. Uh, 20 points clear of New Jersey for, for worst in the Eastern Conference. I mean, it's just been a disaster for Detroit. But um, I think more of a disaster is the fact that they beat the Montreal Canadiens, whose slide and downward spiral is continuing. Uh, they uh, beat the Montreal Canadiens for the first time in forever. They've actually swept the season series with the Canadiens. So I guess there are some pluses to be looked forward to in uh, Detroit there. Uh, but nonetheless, 
In that Atlantic division, it's an interesting case because, as I said, you have Boston and Tampa Bay who are 16 and 15 points respectively clear of Toronto on those top two spots in the division. After that, you have Toronto and Florida who are seemingly battling it out for that third and final spot in the the division. Uh, Toronto holding a very slim two-point lead. Uh, The only thing that's kind of saving Toronto right now is that in their last five, both teams are two and three. So neither one has picked up ground or pushed themselves ahead. Uh, the other, uh, an interesting story there is Buffalo's kind of um, falling behind a little bit. Mind you, they did go three and two, uh, but nonetheless, that's just not good enough. And I, I, but I mean, I've been saying this for how, all season. People have been saying, you know, this team's falling out of the picture. This one's, and yet some teams. I mean, Toronto. We're talking about how they may not meet the playoffs. I mean, as of right now, they have a, not only do they have a playoff spot, they have a divisional playoff spot. Granted, they will be playing Tampa Bay in that first round as of right now, and Tampa Bay would have home ice, and I mean that's probably going to be another uh, an easy first round exit for the Maple Leafs. But nonetheless, that's what's happening there. But then you go over to the Metropolitan <clears throat> Division, and that's where things get interesting. Washington seemed to have been running away with the division. Uh, except for the fact that, and I wonder if this is playing into it a little bit, we have this guy, Alex Ovechkin, who hasn't been scoring lately. And I wonder if the focus on getting him to goal number 700 might be taking away from the focus of the team a little bit. Um, and they've actually now slipped into second place in the Metropolitan Division uh, here, where they have now gone one and four in their last five games. Still an outstanding road record, though, of 21, 8, and 1, best in their division. Uh, let me see here. Uh, yeah, actually, pretty much tied for the second for the best road record uh, in the Eastern Conference with Tampa Bay. Uh, difference is the home record's kind of uh, a little bit, uh, not abysmal, but a little disappointing. But nonetheless, I think once Ovechkin gets over this 700-goal plateau, I think that's when you're going to see Washington pick up again. The other side of it, though, has been the Pittsburgh Penguins. And I do believe some credit has to be given to the Penguins for the fact that they've played parts of the season without either Crosby or Malkin. And yet, here they are, top of the Metropolitan Division. Wasn't that long ago that they won back-to-back Cups. I mean, how crazy would it be to see them go on another tear and win another back-to-back set of cups? I mean, if Crosby finished his career with five, six down like cups, oh, man. I mean, in all honesty, in that case, I think when it's all... Actually, I already think this. When it's all said and done, the Crosby-Ovechkin era of the NHL has been one of the best eras in terms of just two players watching them... Uh, for their careers, and what they've been able to accomplish, what they've done, what they've brought to the game, how they've changed the game, uh, how they've adapted to the game, all of this. I mean, you have Crosby, who's won cups later in his career. You have Ovechkin, won a cup later in his career. You have Ovechkin on the brink of 700 goals. I was just saying this to somebody the other day. By the end of next season, Ovechkin could feasibly be the fourth all-time leading NHL goal scorer. By the end of next season. Like, how crazy is that when you think about it? Like, And then he still has seasons on top of that to pass the likes of Yager. Um, at that point, the only people ahead of him would be Yager, Howe, and Gretzky. I've said it before. I don't know if 895 happens. It's hard to bet against the guy. 
I mean, there was a time when it was looking like there's a few seasons there where it was looking like the great what could have been. Um, but now it's like, is the great eight going to get it done? And I mean, think about if he hadn't have had those kind of slumpy years uh, and who knows what was going on then where he could be in terms of goal production. I mean, he'd already be over 700 goals. And I mean, I don't know if that weighs in on him at all, in my opinion. Like, I, I just don't know. But I have to imagine at a certain point, and I know just from me, and when I look at any endeavor, competitive or whatever it might be, I, I sometimes think of the what could have beens. I think we all, it's an important part of ourselves and our reflection um, on our achievements and our progression uh, in life to look back and say what could have been. I think it's a, it's a healthy thing to do. I think it, it, there's a balance to it. I, I wouldn't say we want to dwell too much on past or unaccomplishments or whatever it is or lack of accomplishment, but I think there does come moments of reflection to look back and say, hey, you know, this could have been or whatever. And I think when you look at Ovechkin, if he does fall within a certain range short, I just, I hope that doesn't become the story of his legacy. The, well, you know, if you go back to these few seasons, it would be tough. And, I, and I'd and i hate to see that. Now, granted, less goals are being scored in this era than ever before, um, from what I understand. But still. Uh, it's pretty crazy to watch. We're gonna what he's um, done in his career. I do think he gets to the 800 goal plateau in his career. I think the grade eight gets to eight. Uh, I think that one you can pretty much uh, make a bet on. That one would be, uh, I think, relatively signed, sealed, and delivered money on that. Uh, but nonetheless, in the Met, uh, two team race up top between Pittsburgh and Washington. And I mean that last year was a three team race. At moments, the Islanders were on top, the Penguins were, and Washington still managed to eke it out. I do still like their chances moving forward uh, to get that done. I think the big thing there is getting Ovechkin over 700. He'll be playing Montreal on Thursday. Montreal has not looked good at all uh, lately, losing their last five games, collecting one out of a possible 10 points, um, which is just absolutely abysmal. Uh, even if they had gotten three clean wins, that would have put them up an additional five points. Uh, and five points would have had them just behind Florida at 67 points. Had they have gone four and one, you add another seven points there. They're actually right behind the Maple Leafs. I don't know what's happening in Montreal, um, but it. I don't like what I see moving forward. I don't know how you keep some of these players around, motivated, inspired, buying the message other than for nostalgia. Do you want to win with as a Montreal Canadian? I think that message starts to get a little tired. Um, no different than it would be. Do you want to get? Do you want to win as a Detroit Red Wing or whatever it might be? These nostalgia pleas to players only go so far. I mean, granted, and I look at even myself in poker. Oh, I you know I really want my first bracelet to be in this event or this game or whatever it is. Now and then, all of a sudden, you have to quickly realize. Fuck it. I'll take a bracelet in whatever event I can win a bracelet in. Um, and I think that's what you see players do. I mean, Ray Bork, career-long Boston Bruin, end of his career, gets traded to Colorado, spends his last, I think, three or four, three and a half seasons there, two and a half maybe, wins his cup, retires. 
I mean, it doesn't tarnish what he did to Boston. I'm sure he would have loved to have won a cup for the Bruins and with the Bruins. At the end of the day, he wanted to get a cup. I mean, that would be the ultimate what could have been. You will, you would always look back and be like, oh shit, you know, ah, uh, you know, maybe I should have taken that trade. Of course, you're gonna fucking say that I should have taken the trade. You damn right. If you had a chance to get traded to a contender and it's towards the end of your career, you're gonna take it. No different than as we move here to the Western Conference. Uh, we'll get into another case of that. Um, so let's actually skip ahead to that and go to the Pacific Division. I was going to do the Central, but let's look at the Pacific. Uh, with the San Jose Sharks, I don't see a road to the playoffs for the Sharks. Do you see a guy like Jumbo Joe Thornton getting the trade to a contender? Do you see a contender wanting him? I mean, these are questions to ask. Uh, I can think of one that comes to mind in the Central Division. I'd love to see him lace up for the Jets. I think his veteran leadership, I think his playmaking ability, I think what he brings in the locker room, I think could be the difference for the Jets um, and what they could, pardon me, accomplish. I think it would give them that push uh, into the wild card or maybe even a divisional spot. We'll get into where they are in the, actually, no, they're not going to get a divisional spot. So, uh, get them a wild card spot, hopefully. But I mean, that race is tight too. As of right now, they don't have a wild card spot. Um, so, I mean, they're technically not even a contender as of right now. So would you look at maybe Vegas making a move for them? And Edmonton, well, Edmonton's pretty cash strapped. So, uh, even though half their team, they, I think going into last night's game, they had 33 million sitting on the bench or when did they play when did they play maybe it's tonight they play yeah going into boston tonight i think they'll have 33 and a half million uh injured like that's crazy uh but nonetheless leon drysaddles i mean picked up already has 95 points on the season uh unreal there uh, but yes, in the Pacific Division, uh, you have those bottom three teams, which, I mean, their seasons are essentially done now uh, in LA, Anaheim, and San Jose in that order. Uh, but then things get interesting, because then you take a bit of a jump, and that Pacific Division remains open. Any team from Arizona all the way up to Edmonton is in it. You have Edmonton, Arizona and Calgary, both with 68 points, both locking up the two wildcard spots as of right now. You have Vancouver and at 69 points. Then you have Vegas and Edmonton both at 70 points. Edmonton having the two games in hand on Vegas. Uh, the only thing I like about the Vegas situation there is I like the depth of their team. Uh, I like what Pete DeBoer has done there. I, as I said, I don't know. I've said this before. Sorry, I shouldn't, as I was saying. But I've said this before. I don't know that firing Gerard Gallant was, necessar was a necessary move. Uh, but... Pete DeBoer seems to have gotten them going a little bit. Um, and I think it was a bit of an accountability move. I think it was ownership and management's way of saying, hey, there's no time for fuck around here. A guy lost his job who didn't need to lose his job because you guys were fucking around. So let's get our shit together and let's do what we're supposed to and need to do. So I do think it was a bit of an accountability move more than anything in holding players and the team accountable, and I think it did light a bit of a fire under their ass. I mean, they saw a good guy lose his job uh, over this. But I do like Vegas, uh, just in terms of Edmonton and the injuries, uh, I think there's only so far a team can go uh, kind of on that momentum and that overachieving, so to speak. And I, I just, I like 
uh, Vegas's chancing, chances moving forward there. I think they probably take over a lock up the Pacific. But again, I mean, I did not expect the Pacific Division to be this close. So I think anything can happen there. But I, I do predict Vegas could get it done. Uh, they did go 3-2 and two, uh, or I guess 3-0-1 in their last uh, five. Edmonton, though, went 4-1. So, again, we'll see how this has to how this is going to shape up. Uh, and as I said, as we get into those final 20 games, it's when you get start to get into those final 15 games. That's when you can make kind of a projection, and we will uh, here on the show, about kind of where a team needs to go to decide their own fate in terms of what their record needs to look like. Uh, over uh, the next period of games here. Uh, and I think generally, I think the formula I've come up with, what was it last year, was some permutation of 9-1, and 8-0-2, oh basically, I think, in the final two games, in the final 10 games, if you're in a position to get a playoff spot, would do it. Uh, but we'll see what it looks like this year. Uh, nonetheless, uh, moving to the Central Division, uh, you have St. Louis is back on top there, but that race has really tightened up with St. Louis, Dallas, and Colorado occupying the divisional spots. Um, Dallas, again, whilst it's a bit of a surprise to see them that high, they're also a team that, I mean, should have been good for a few years now and should have been doing this for a few years. So it's it's kind of good to see them living up to their potential, so to speak. Uh, again, they made some big acquisitions, getting Corey Perry, getting Joe Pavelski uh, this year. So I guess retooling, trying to make a run at it. Colorado, again, they had that big line, the Rantanen, uh, Landeskog, and McKinnon line, arguably the best line in hockey or one of. So uh, looking at that, I think those three teams do get the divisional spots. Winnipeg would just have to make up too much ground. And Winnipeg is finding themselves in this situation again year after year of when you get to the end of the season, you look at those kind of lost points, those points you left on the fucking table. And that becomes the issue uh, with our uh, beloved Winnipeg Jets is it's constantly and consistently a case and story of, damn it, guys, more points being left on the table. And I think when you look at it from that perspective, I mean, yes, it is disappointing. It's disappointing as all get up and go that here's a team that just, again, couldn't, you know, leaving points on the table. That's the best way to describe it. They just consistently find ways to blow the opportunity. And, I mean, there's only so much of that, I mean, you can stand for. Uh, but, I mean, uh, what's his... Uh, they, they had... To get to make excuses, uh, they did have that uh, disaster on the blue line uh, situation this past in the off season uh, with Dustin Bufflin uh, and then losing both uh, Jacob Truba and Tyler Myers. Again, I've long said if they knew about my um, Bufflin, they probably try to keep one of the two, um, or maybe try to keep one of the two. I would have liked them to have tried to have kept one of the two, but. Again, we'll see how it plays out. Uh, but the, the Jets have, I mean, they've grinded out this season. I think that's the best way to put it is this season has been a grind for them. Uh, but nonetheless, they've they, you know, they've put themselves in a position where, I mean, it, it's not envious by any means. But, um, you know, could potentially get it done. 
And uh, we'll see. We'll see how it plays out for our beloved Winnipeg Jets. Uh, you know, fingers crossed, but breath's not being held um, about it. Uh, so we'll see how it plays out. Uh, nonetheless, uh, I, I, I don't know, uh, especially with how well um, and, and kind of the leads that some of these other teams have on the Jets. I just don't know if I see a situation where the Jets can make up the ground to get themselves into a playoff spot. For me, that's the bigger issue uh, when you think about what the Jets could or might accomplish this season. To me, I just I don't know that there's a road for them to get it done. I mean, they basically have to run the board here at this point. It could happen. Uh, I'm not going to say it won't happen. Uh, it could happen. I just... Not not, not going to lie. I'm a little bit skeptical of it happening. I don't... I just... I don't know. I really and truly don't know uh, that they do have it. And then they did go 3-2 and two over the last five, but I just don't know that that's good enough right now, especially when you have teams ahead of them going 4-1. and one. You have other teams uh, right behind them on their tails going 3-2. and two. Uh, You look at what's happening in that uh, Pacific Division... Uh, there where essentially Calgary's gone three and two, um, Arizona's gone three Oh and one, uh, Vancouver, well, they gone two and three, but I mean, Vegas three Oh and well, Vegas is going for a divisional spot, but even still assuming they don't get a divisional spot, those teams in that Pacific division essentially control their fate when it comes to the wild card spots. And that's where I don't know that I like the Jets chances historically for them, especially this Jets 2.0, when they've been on the outside looking in, other than that first time they made the playoffs, I think that was the only time they kind of leapfrogged a team, or would it be leapfrog or leapt? I guess just leapfrog. They uh, decided to play leapfrog over the LA Kings, I believe, that year for the final playoff spot. And uh, granted, they got swept in the first round, but nonetheless, they did were able to leapfrog a team, and I think it it was basically on the back of uh, Andre Pavlik, uh, for a blast from the past there, uh, who I believe had three straight shutouts, which was a bit of an accomplishment. Uh, I mean, by Andre Pavlik's standards, and I, th- I think the Pavlik era go- goes forgotten, as does the Claude Noel era of coaching in in Winnipeg. But. We did have a lot of growing pains during that era, but that was the first time we made the playoffs. Ever since then, they've kind of struggled. And when they were in the Eastern Conference especially, uh, they had a lot, and I think it was the Southeast Division is what it was called um, back then, uh, which was a relatively weak division in all honesty, and that's why Washington was just running away with it. But Winnipeg was never getting in. And I, including one year, one of the lockout years, if I'm not mistaken, like that was their best chance of making a good run at it in that kind of, in those early years of being back in Winnipeg. And they just could not get the job done. And it was, it was thoroughly disappointing, I think for everyone, uh, you know, to, to kind of tell it like it is, so to speak, like it was a very, very disappointing run, uh, for our beloved Winnipeg Jets to see them fall short, uh, of what could have been a glorious opportunity. And I think this is going to be the case again. Uh, the Jets, when they're not in control of their own destiny, it becomes a little much to expect and to have them climb over teams, uh, go on the runs that they need to go on to try and get themselves into a playoff spot. It is unfortunate, but it is the reality of our beloved Winnipeg Jets. Uh, with that being said... 
I mean, anything could happen. Uh, I don't see it necessarily happening, but uh, regardless, who knows? Uh, but the Jets, <clears throat> I don't see it. I just don't see it this year. I think there's a, there is a tremendous uh, those losses hurt them. They've been tr- and I've, they've done well, kind of on the fly and developing players, kind of on the fly, and and that whole rhetoric there. But I just I don't see it. I don't see. It. I don't think they have the depth, and especially the depth to overcome teams ahead of them. That's always the bigger concern: is can you get leapfrog the teams that are ahead of you? And to me, I just I don't know that there is a formula for that to uh, transpire. So we'll see, but not holding my breath on our beloved Winnipeg Jets uh, this season. Uh, so again, uh, regardless, uh, you know. A credit has to be given for how well they've done in spite of their situation. And I mean, I'm, I'm kind of doing what I talk about them doing on shows like Leafs Lunch or whatever the show might be where they kind of harp and, and over-promote their home teams. I'm from Winnipeg. I do love the Jets. So that's why I'm talking about the Jets. Uh, but they're not going to get into the playoffs this year. Sorry, Jet fans. It's just I don't see it happening. Uh, 21 games left. Not in control of their own destiny. I just don't like it. Uh, which kind of now leads me into that segue of how to project accurately. As you kind of go through a season and such, especially the NHL season, uh, football's a little different because, I mean, there's you play 16 games, uh, there's 32 teams, so you don't play every team. As you get into the NHL season and you look at, you really want to do a, 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 as accurate as possible of a model a mathematical model as to predict and project where a team could finish if they have a real shot at it, uh, which I guess I could do uh, a little bit of math and maybe in my free time and, and offer up an episode of the podcast on this. But nonetheless, it becomes a little more complicated of a formula of just, A, they've collected X amount of points through this amount of games, therefore projecting that ahead, this is how many points they'll get. That's a very simplistic way of projecting um, because you have to look at the other variables. And that's kind of where when you start looking at, you know, and, and as, as you have a better understanding of math, you understand where you have to punch in more variables, less variables, different variables, whatever it might be um, to kind of get you a more accurate picture of what's happening you have to fa- you have to take in additional factors how they've performed against the teams they have how have they performed with play- certain players in the roster versus not in the roster has um do you know how other teams uh their uh roads uh through the rest of the seasons look uh, there's a little more math involved than just simply the calculation of you know, through 61 games, they've caught, they've taken X amount of points. They have 21 games left, you know, so you divide roughly 61 by whatever that would be. Um, and you say, here we go. Uh, that's, that's not an accurate way, in my opinion, of projecting a team's ability or success uh, or where they'll finish. Uh, simply because, again, there's those intangibles in hockey. Uh, how teams match up, who they're playing, all of these things go into it, and that's why, in my opinion, 
uh, it, it's just a little bit hard. It's a little more complex of a projection system than what we might think. Uh, so that's kind of just a little bit of a touch I wanted to make on it because you could do, uh, and I should maybe do a whole episode just dedicated to the math behind it and, and see how accurate those projections could be and should be and would be um, versus um, just doing a simplistic approach. Uh, regardless, here I've changed kind of the, the view here to see uh, yeah, so, this, so, the Isle, so the Islanders and Carolina are the two wildcard teams in the East. Uh, with Columbus right on their heels. Fuck, who would have thought Columbus? And the craziest thing about this is, I mean, Carolina's done relatively well. 3-0-1 in their last five. Columbus has gone 0-2-3 in their last five and yet are clinging to life in that wild card race. So that's the craziest part there is that the the Columbus Blue Jackets are actually the team most in control of this. But those five game swings matter and they matter huge um, down the stretch here, especially as you look that Carolina has two games in hand. The Islanders have three games in hand. That's where you needed to have gotten points. Uh, we look at the Winnipeg Jets last year um, collapsing, where I believe it was something like they had a three-point, um, whatever it was, they had a huge cushion in the um, Central Division and blew it. One win, I think it was, it was all it would have taken for them to seal, and they couldn't get it done in their last three games. Like, it was ridiculous. Um, and probably would have changed the entire landscape of the playoffs last year. But nonetheless, they fucked up, and that's what happens. Uh, but yes, so a three-team race, essentially. I mean, Florida is clinging to life, and Florida should have been better. I want to say that right now. Nobody expected the mediocrity from Sergei Bobrovsky this year, and especially for the amount he's getting fucking paid. Um, and, but I've talked about this in prior episodes uh, you know, where the, the comment was made, it's not like you're paying James Reimer the $10 million. Well, maybe you should have in hindsight, but anyway, I digress. Uh, as I've said, central is a three team race there. I think we can, I think we can take that one. We can lock up, uh, those three teams in, uh, the central as they're, those are going to be the three divisional spots, St. Louis, Dallas, and Colorado. I think what's going to be interesting is the order in which they fall. Colorado for the first time in what seems like forever actually is the team with the game and games in hand. They have two games in hand on St. Louis and one on Dallas. So they've got 24 games remaining, uh, and sit three points back. So we'll see there if they can uh, make up that ground in those two games in those, uh, two games in hand, uh, Atlantic division could be another interesting one there where again, I mean, Florida, I believe is in that division. Uh, but again, probably the other division, I would feel comfortable saying that those are going to be the three teams that lock up the divisional spots, Boston, Tampa Bay, and Toronto. Toronto though, is just, they're kind of seeming a little entitled. They're not working for it. They're not, they're just not getting it. And that's what that's a bother to me. It's like they're just happy that they're gonna that they could get in and that they have a relatively easyish road to get in. And I don't like that kind of attitude and that kind of bullshit. But I think that would be the other division I feel comfortable um, saying that those are gonna be the three divisional spots. Pacific is up for grabs. Uh, plain and simple, there you have five teams within two points of each other. Like that's anybody's game. There it, it really comes down to who has the strongest finish there. Uh, and all team, all the teams there are actually doing pretty well. Uh, Vancouver was actually the only one there with a losing record in the last five. 
Uh, as I said, the Jets, I think it's going to be too little too late. Uh, unless they go on a tear, I don't see the Jets getting it done, especially the fact that they're not... <clears throat> well, they're kind of keeping pace, but you need to do better than the pace, right? Like, that's the other side of it. Uh, you have to be doing better than the pace to uh, leapfrog teams. I don't think Nashville does. I think they're one of the bigger disappointments this season. I think uh, there's going to... Nashville, you could see some uh, either a little bit of sales going on there uh, in terms of players, maybe at the deadline, maybe even in the offseason. And you know what? I'm going to go ahead and say that, actually. Don't be surprised to see... Uh, is it Dave Poulin is their GM? Um, or David Poyle, I think, is their general manager. Uh, see them decide to throw in the towel on the season and make some moves and just kind of start over. Uh, and again, that could be interesting. If you have a team that's in need of a goalie, maybe they decide to pick up a Pecorine. But again, I think Pecorine has some term left. Uh, but don't be surprised if Nashville becomes sellers at the uh, deadline. I think they're too far gone. First time in I've seen, I think forever I've seen Nashville actually have a negative goal differential. Uh, so yikes. Uh, Calgary actually has a negative goal differential, but is in a playoff spot. Uh, so figure that. Um, I think Calgary might be the only team with a negative goal differential with a play with, that is currently in a playoff spot. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, call I mean, Pittsburgh has a great goal differential. Uh, actually, so did the South Washington. 28 there and uh, 42, a plus 42 for Pittsburgh. Wow. Oh. Actually, Boston's got a great goal differential, as does uh, Tampa Bay. Even Bo Toronto's got Yeah, so Calgary's the only team with a negative goal differential that is currently occupying a playoff spot. And they actually have a pretty bad goal differential. They're a minus 10. Uh, so uh, we'll see there. Jets have a plus one goal differential. But nonetheless, that's that. So as I was briefly talking about a moment ago when it comes to projecting, <clears throat> when it comes to team projections, the formula becomes more complicated than just how many points you've acquired to this point versus you know how many games left and, and whatever. To make a truly accurate projection, in my opinion, and uh, from my understanding of how math and statistics and things work, uh, the formula needs to get a little more complicated. You need to put in a few more variables. When it comes to player projections, to an extent, it's the same thing. Granted, with players, it's a there's a few more intangibles in that it's an individual uh, endeavor. And when it comes to that, that's when you kind of have to take a step back and be like, Okay, there's also... But again, it's the same kind of things. It's actually pretty much the same variables. It's just the weighting of the variables. It's all really differential equations at a certain point. Um, and really which, you know, things are going to move faster. Uh, and which variables are going to have an impact on um, the end result. So if Y is the goals or points, I mean, it's the plugging in of all the variables... Uh, to get you and which one's going to have an impact. Um, and math is kind of like that. That's the beauty of math and especially kind of applied mathematics and, and, and problem-solving mathematics and, and really most forms of um, equation-solving uh, and, and, and calculation and calculus-type math is, it's, it, is it kind of becomes a who, what, when, where, and why um, and how situation. So you learn the what an, uh, the equation is um, the who is you, the, the who is always you. So it's who's going to solve it is you. Um, the what the equation is, um, the when you would use this equation, the why you would use this equation, 
And the how to use this equation um, is basically the principle behind kind of applied math. Uh, so that, that, that's kind of an interesting, that, that's kind of a little segue, but I was thinking about it last night. I was going on, a, on an ice cream run. I went to Dairy Queen. Uh, Jess and I decided we wanted a little treat last night. So, we went, uh, so I got some uh, Dairy Queen. And I was thinking about that. I was like, how can I kind of explain this concept of the math? And, and that's, to me, that's kind of the best way of understanding and, and explaining it. Equations and formulas and things like that follow a who, what, uh, where, when, um, who, what, when, where, why, and how. Um, and, and that's just what you're trying to figure out. And the who is always you. Um, so that's, that's that. Um, the what... So you have to understand the what the equations are um, component, um, the how they work, um, the how to use them, the how they work components, um, and then um, the when, the where, and the why are the... Uh, and and I, I guess even a why you would use... A why... All of that are, are information. Yeah, you need to have those informations going in. Then you get the information. Then you're like, okay, this is a when and where. So basically, yeah, that's what it comes into. Uh, math is is, is that. Um, to that, to, to problem solving. So let's take a look at this when it comes to um, individual achievements. Leon Dreisaitl, probably going to get the points. Um, I don't think there's any real fast math or fancy math that needs to be done there. Um, there is some fast math. He has a 13-point edge. We'll probably get Connor McDavid back at a certain point. Um, I don't know that Pasternak make, goes plus 13 on Leon Dreisaitl down the stretch here. I just don't see that. Um, what would be interesting is where Pasternak and McKinnon um, fall within each other. And even where McDavid, once he gets back, depending how big a lead um, these guys get on him, how many points he can make up. Goals is going to be an interesting one because it is really a three-person race. I mean, Ovechkin two weeks ago wasn't even in the conversation. Now he's in again, and he's one hat-trick away from goal lead again, um, especially going into Thursday. And this is where those variables, who you play against, how you've typically done against those teams in the past and this season, play in. Ovechkin typically lights the lamp against Montreal. I think he's had a couple of hat-tricks, a couple of four-goal games against Montreal in his career. So, again, there you go. I do think Ovechkin can get it done, especially the, this bullshit that's going on in Toronto, this this nonsense of mediocrity and winning not being important uh, from the looks of it. From the outside looking in, it just... You have to wonder when this is enough. When, when the players are going to make the decision that, you know what, this is enough. Um, and I don't know when that's going to happen, uh, but I can tell you it needs to happen. Um, that needs to be a realization for these players. They need to come into this and kind of understand and make a decision for themselves. When do we want to take that next level? Or is this the level we want to be at? I remember in those late 90s, early 2000s, there were teams that were just happy to be in that upper half. We're a top half team and that's that. We're, we're content here. And it's just like, okay, all right then, that's what you are. You're a top half team, congratulations. And I mean, for better or worse, that's what they wanted to be. 
Uh, so, I mean, maybe that's what the Leafs want. Maybe that's who the Leafs have decided they're going to be. You know, moving forward, that's just the way it is. We are, you know, we're a playoff team, and that's about that. Right? San Jose kind of looked like that for a while. They were never getting past, you know, the third round. And then they made a cup appearance. Okay. You know, now they're not going to make the playoffs. So, again, we'll see, you know, what is it that San Jose wants to be moving forward? How do they see themselves, um, you know, as a team? How do they want to be defined as a team? We'll see all of that. So, <clears throat> I mean, again, with the Leafs, I just don't know. Uh, there was an interesting talk on Overdrive last night um, on TSN where they had Bob McKenzie on as a guest, and we were and they were talking about the idea, and and I do kind of like, and I think it's an interesting concept. Of the idea that, I mean, you're supposed to do what you can to help your team win, right? And it's about wins. If Matthews goes on to score, you know, 52 goals or whatever it is, and they say, well, did you, is there the argument to be made that he could say, well, <clears throat> I did my part to help the fucking team win. I scored 52 goals. So at what point do does an individual metric become that kind of, well, this is good enough to, you know, warrant an excuse or whatever it might be. I think in the regular season, yes, teams and players have certain kind of individual benchmarks they that they need to get to to help win. And I mean, in, in sports, especially hockey, there are ways to be productive without scoring goals. There are ways to be important without scoring goals. But at the same time, goals need to be scored. You need to go a minimum of plus one in a given game as a team to win that game. So somebody needs to get you that plus differential in a given game to win. So keep that in mind. Um, but it, it's an it's a tight race. Pashtak was running away with it. I mean, he's still keeping pace. Ovechkin, if Ovechkin had scored at least one goal in his last five fucking games, maybe he's he's running away with it. Um, I think it's an exciting time in Ovechkin's life to be at 700 goals. Uh, I'm not going to lie, we're on the brink of 700 goals, so I think that could be playing a part of it. But nonetheless, um, that one's up for grabs, in my opinion. Uh, I think the Dreisaitl um, race, is gonna, he's going to get the points. Uh, what's an interesting one too, though, is going to be this one here for assists with Johnny Carlson six behind. If Carlson's getting assists and Ovechkin tears it up, goes on a hot streak to end the season, you could maybe see a situation where Carlson either ties Dreisaitl and gets right up there on Dreisaitl. Uh, he's six back now. I could see him getting, you know, tightening that gap a little bit. Um, plus minus Ryan Graves of the Colorado Avalanche um, is the number one plus minus guy at plus 41. Uh, here we go. All right, so here's another interesting one. Out of the blue, fucking Andre Vasilevsky has, I mean, well, Tampa Bay as a whole has dominated of late um, this second half of the season. Tampa Bay, uh, Andre Vasilevsky's quickly put himself in a situation to be the overwhelming favorite for a back-to-back Vezina Trophy um, performance. And I think he would be one of four goalies to ever win back-to-back um, Vezinas uh, with the likes of Martin Broder, Dominic Hasek, and Patrick Waugh, I believe, are the only other goalies to do it. 
Um, so that's a pretty elite company, uh, given that all three are Hall of Famers. Uh, shutout leader is Elvis Merzlikens of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, so that's another interesting thing there. Uh, here's Columbus. They let go of Bobrovsky, and yet they're still getting Tier 1 goaltending. So um, we'll see how this plays out. Uh, but nonetheless... Um, I think Vasilevsky makes a very strong case for um, a second straight uh, Vesna trophy. Uh, I'm just looking up here. When you the only other guy, but I don't know if he has the win total, and that's the that's the problem. Would be Tristan Jari. Uh, he was an All Star uh, for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Tuukka Rask again, solid as hell, uh, leading the league in goals against, tied for the league in save percentage. Uh, 20 plus wins on the season uh, and again that's a great example of what Boston does there having that 1A 1B goalie system uh, oh, but here you go and this is where Connor Hellebuck keeps himself in the conversation uh, for the Vesna Trophy uh, leads the league in both shots against and saves um, where does that put him in terms of save percentage? I don't know. But regardless, uh, right up there in terms of that, uh, 14-28 saves on the season, uh, 1,554 shots against. Uh, I think it's something like for the last five seasons, he's led in those categories. So pretty unreal when you think about that um, for Connor Hellebuck, uh, he's 23, sh uh, saves clear of Carey Price. After that's a pretty significant drop. Uh, they're each about 200 saves, um, clear of Jacob Markstrom and Andre Vasilevsky. So when they talk about, you know, certain guys being lights out on underperforming teams, I think Connor Hellebuck, this could be the reason why when you think about it, and especially the fact that he is second in wins, um, and does not play on the Tampa Bay Lightning, um, is second in shutouts. There's a strong case for Connor Hellebuck to maybe get um, the Vezina, and I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't mind seeing Hellebuck get it. I think there's some consideration to be given. You have to look at the entire body of work. And, I mean, Brodeur was getting it some years, and, and no offense to Marty Brodeur, based on the fact that, yes, he was the far-and-away wins leader. Um, so... I mean, granted, wins do count for something, but you have to look at the team you're playing on. Tampa Bay is one of, if not the best team, um, and despite their slow start, could finish and end up maybe even getting the President's Trophy this year. So, I mean, don't be surprised to see Connor Hellebuck in the Vezina conversation and possibly even winning the Vezina this year. Uh, so that's, that's where I see that. Uh, do they have rookie uh, stats at all? No, nothing here for the rookies. Uh, but uh, Cole McCarr is the interesting one there. Or Kale McCarr in Colorado as a defenseman, I think, is second in points amongst rookies, which is pretty interesting. And I'd like to see Kale McCarr get it. I grew up a Colorado Avalanche fan. Hardcore Avs fan. I was... I would be borderline in tears when they'd get eliminated from the playoffs, and I would be in tears when they would win the cup. Um, so I'm happy to see the Avs uh, on the road back uh, to dominance and to success and seeing them in that upper tier of the NHL. Uh, but nonetheless, I think uh, I've rambled on enough for this episode. So I do thank you guys again so much for tuning in to this episode of the Seems Legit podcast. And again, for the continued and growing support here on the Seems Legit podcast. Uh, really, it means the world to me. 
Uh, if you aren't already doing so, please follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at the dude Sunny D. Uh, again, appreciate the followers, appreciate all the support, everything you guys, uh, without you, none of this would be possible. So thank you so much. Uh, take care and bye-bye for now.